0: Good morning, what a wonderful morning it's been already. Hadn't it been great? So centering, so strengthening, so encouraging. If you are a guest today, you're coming into a series. We've been together multiple weeks, and so we're going to be doing a bit of a review to get started. This series is called Resolved. It comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel is a writer uh, and a prophet that uh, wrote towards the end of the Old Testament period, so... 500 years plus before Jesus arrives, and we are learning a lot about what it means to be resolved, like Daniel is resolved and some of his friends were resolved while they were in exile together. And what does it look like? We've been keying in on uh, multiple phrases, but here are the key words. Uh, Resolve looks like being ready, consistent, devoted, kind, and faithful. Today we're going to be looking at I am devoted. But In keeping with doing a little bit more review, I want you to be engaged and involved, so I'm going to have you help me read some review points from the various weeks that we've had so far. So in week number one, here's what I want you to read. Ready? When we have no resolve, we let our feelings overrule our logic, and we choose short-term pleasure over long-term benefits. You can kind of see how that gets us in trouble. When we have no resolve, we are choosing... Short-term pleasures over long-term benefits, and so it feels really good now, and we like it now, but it starts to make a problem for us later on down the road. So in week two, we learned making good choices, Uh, 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 come on, in week two, we learned making good choices is a battle. You have to pre-decide to be faithful and pre-solve your temptations to be battle-ready. That word pre-solve has the word resolve in it. It's not resolve, 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 but it's pre-solve, and that's kind of what we're working on together to figure out how to pre-solve these temptations, because if you are trying to solve your temptation in the moment of temptation, it's too late. You need to figure out when you're not tempted, what's the best way to go and build a resolve towards that direction. And then last week, we learned this. So on the screen, let's read it together. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. If it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you will find an excuse. That's an important point that we need to get a hold of. So the title today is I Am Devoted. I want to get us started with a question. Is there a difference between what we focused on last week, which is I am consistent, with what we're focusing on today, I am devoted? Don't answer the question, just tuck it away. Is there a difference between being consistent and being devoted? I want to begin today with what Paul has to say. Now, Paul is a New Testament writer. He's an apostle who wrote... 13 of the New Testament letters, and he wrote this in Colossians 4.2. He wrote, devote yourselves to prayer. It's obvious that we need to be consistent in prayer. We've talked about that last week, but he's now, in my estimation, upping the ante. Now, if, if you are not consistent, you're probably not devoted either. But you need to start with some consistency and then move towards being absolutely devoted to prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to learn from Daniel's own life and his own example as we take a look at this together. Now, if you're here last week, we're still in Daniel 6. If you come next week, we back up. We're going to be in Daniel 4 and in Daniel 5, so if you want to review those chapters, that might be helpful for next week. So we're still in Daniel 6, and I shouldn't even be saying this. My outtakes were far greater than my actual notes. What I had to settle in, I'm, this is what we got to hang on to. So I'm going to go over the story and not even finish it. So if you're not familiar with the finish of the story, you want to read Daniel 6, because we're not going to get to the end. We're going to just get to the part about Daniel's devotion. We did hear the end briefly last week, but it's a fabulous story to look at. So on the flip side of your outline, if you have it in paper or if you have it digitally on the bottom, there are a bunch of questions that are related to Daniel chapter 6. I'd recommend the whole chapter. Here's some background. In chapter 1, Daniel was about 17 years old. He was hauled off in exile. He was the part of the nobility, the noble youth, okay? Then he was hauled off to Babylon. A lot of the poor folk were left in destroyed Jerusalem, and they were left to kind of just fend for themselves and do life on their own uh, with the Babylonians in charge, and they have people in charge of the area, but the crop, the cream of the crop, uh, was brought to Babylon, and he was 17. Now, in just rapid fire, when we're turning the pages of Daniel, by chapter 6, he's already in his 80s, okay, and he has been living a life of consistency in those chapters, And we're going to see that consistency crescendo to a point of amazing devotion here in chapter 6. And so, before we get into that, just simply stated, what does it mean to be consistent? Consistent means that you have repetition on a good habit... And it's almost predictable, which we talked about last week, that so repeated was his devotional habit that it was predictable by his enemies, and they set a trap for him there as it relates to his consistency. Now, what is devotion? Devotion is a little bit more than just consistency and a pattern, and we're going to take a look at this on the screen. Devoted refers to a deep commitment and dedication to a person cause or belief it involves a strong emotional attachment and a willingness to make sacrifices for that person cause or belief so here's the story and i'm not going to take time to read it it's just a and i'm not going to finish it here's the story in daniel chapter 6 so daniel has lived through multiple kings he's that old And now he is under the regime of the Medo-Persian king, Darius, and he, because he's so squeaky clean in his character and so trustworthy, he has been elevated into this really high political office. He is uh, probably ranked with three others as second most powerful, overseeing all the other politicians uh, under the Medo-Persian kingdom that is now the kingdom that's The powerful kingdom over the world. That whole area. Now, and then we read that the king so trusted Daniel because every time Daniel's in charge, he's not losing stuff. He's not it's not going to the stuff he doesn't want that he was planning on elevating Daniel to the second highest position all in his lonesome overseeing all the others in this organized kingdom. That didn't go real well with his political peers. His political peers are thinking things like this. What? He's a Jewish exile. He's a captive slave you're putting him over us. And so they start digging for dirt politically to try to figure out how they can lay a charge against him, and if they can lay this charge against him, they can oust him so that they can take those positions. Then they plan out a plot because they can't find a charge against him. And they're frustrated. Fine. The only thing we can actually do to capture him in something is to trump up a charge that will be precisely related to what he's consistent at, devotion to his God. Aha. So now the light bulbs go on, and they decide this, set this trap. I wouldn't do it the way they did it because it's so dangerous, and you can read the end of the chapter and it didn't go well for them, because they trick the king, they trick the king into this trap. Oh king, we've all gotten together and we've decided we need to have a 30-day celebrate you as king month. And the way that all of us think would be the best way to celebrate you as king month is that we make it illegal. According to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, and you know what that means, that It cannot be changed for 30 days that everybody who worships or prays can only worship or pray to you. The king goes, that sounds like a great plan. And of course, pride always causes you to not connect the dots with the implications of what's going to happen when you're looking at short-term pleasures and this king who's pagan is not looking at what he doesn't see The trap that's in it. He, of course, doesn't know that all of us agreed is a bold-faced lie. They didn't consult the the one that's over them, Daniel, at all. And they're trying to trap Daniel. And so, with that going on, and they also tell him basically what to do if there's any defiance. Now, their overt position is probably this. This will be good for the kingdom. This will be good for the kingdom because it will make everybody in the kingdom united and loyal to you and you only. And the king thinks, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let's do this. Writes it into. Now, here's the other piece that I think is fascinating. The laws of the Medes and the Persian cannot be changed once it is written in decree. That's their cultural value. It's like, I don't even, we can get it, dig into that, but that's their cultural value, and they know it. And so they're trapping the king because they know that as soon as the king sees through this, he's going to want to balk and back out of this because Daniel is trusted. Daniel is his friend. And so they pressure him and twist his arm as soon as they find out Daniel. Well, let's, let's read some verses so we get some context here. Verse 10, Daniel six ten. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now, when we're reading just as he had done before, it's not talking about yesterday, it's talking about for a lifetime. And everybody that keeps coming to him keeps seeing this is his pattern. He kneels, he opens a window, he prays towards Jerusalem. I think that's amazing, and that was a, one of my outtakes. I was going to spend some time talking about that. He's just basically studied the Bible, and in the Bible it says, and when you're in exile, prophecy, you need to do this, and he's doing it every day. And then God will be gracious. I said I wasn't going to go there. Okay, Um but Anyway, they write into this law that if you do defy the king by praying to another, you will be arrested and thrown into the den with the lions, which is an ancient, convenient electric chair. Um, <laughs> gruesome on purpose. And that was what they were planning on doing with Daniel when they tricked the king. Now he's caught... Can you just imagine? They're waiting. The herald has issued the decree. Read it out loud. Daniel hears it. They know he's heard it. Daniel doesn't flinch. He is so devoted to his God. This is not a hard decision for him because when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. Say it with me. When your values are clear, your decisions are easy. When you've pre-solved the problem and you take it to connecting all the dots to your eternal future and in your well-being even in life, it's easy decision. And he has thought through this and lived through this time and time again. It was not a hard decision for him He didn't have to start praying because now his life is in danger. He already is praying because his life has always been in danger. Okay? It was an easy decision. And now they come out of their hiding. They capture him. They bring him to the king. They twist the king's arm. No, you can't back out of this. You've got to throw him into the lion's den. Okay? So that's where we are in chapter 6. He's so devoted, that he would rather die than to deny his loyalty to the one God, the one true God, the only God who is worthy of our total devotion. That is where Daniel lived. Now, if you, spoiler alert, if you read it through, he didn't have to die. God comes through. Uh, you can read how. Now, in just this verse, <laughs> do you see the miracle? Okay, say this with me. What's the miracle, Jim? <laughs> we have an incorruptible politician. <laughs> now, just in case you're a politician. And you, you think, I just threw you under the bus. I did. But just so you don't get mad at me, I heard this recently, that um, there are only two things wrong with churches. Just two. Pastors and people. Okay. You guys laugh that I just threw you all under the bus. (laughs) I threw me under the bus too. And that's on purpose because the scripture is very clear. On our own, we're all thrown under the bus. None of us are able to be fully resolved on our own. None of us are able to be ready, battle ready on our own. None of us are ready to be Consistent on our own. We're not able to be devoted like what we just saw took place by ourselves. Let me be clear this is not a self help series. The only way that you can become resolved, battle ready, consistent, devoted, next week, kind, week after that, faithful. The only way you can live this out is with a personal relationship with the covenant-making God who will come alongside of you and give you what you need. We all need a Savior. And this Savior is not just saving us with a ticket, here you go, all sins forgiven, get to heaven. He is a savior even from the power of sin in our lives. That's why we keep saying we're a church that's all about helping everybody take steps from where they are to where God wants us to be, that we should be seeing a difference in our life out of this consistency, out of this devotion, out of this resolve, out of this battle readiness. There should be an ever-increasing joy and challenge, but God coming through, okay? Okay? This is what this is about. So, are you ready to learn how to be devoted? Yes. If not, we'll go home. Okay? How to be devoted. Point number one. Strengthen your emotional attachment. Strengthen your emotional attachment. Daniel was very, very familiar with God's clear instructions on being devoted to Him. Let me say that again. Daniel was very, very familiar with God's clear instructions on how to be devoted to Him. We're gonna to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 5. It reads this way Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, for centuries, Jews recited this twice a day. Daniel recited this twice a day. He was trained like every Jew in the culture of Judaism to recite this. As part of their devotion and part of their prayer, it was just a part of what they did in terms of consistency and routine but he was very, very familiar with this. So, but I want to ask you this question. Have have you ever read these words and felt like a big loser? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength then I just start going, do I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength? I'm such a big loser. That's how I often read that. I want to make sure that we understand the context of this so that that's not the reaction we end up getting all the time. It's not written for that. Now, let me just, before I get into that. Just make it really, really clear. I often slip into the kingdom of me mode instead of for you, my king mode. I often slip into not your will be done. I want to do my will. I want to do what I want. I often slip into that. And pride is the thing that causes me to go towards me as the center of my life instead of towards the king as the center of my life. And pride has a way of blinding me to when I'm doing it and I'll slip off center, and the Lord will convict me. And then I read something like this, and I see I'm such a loser. That's precisely the wrong way to look at it, because we hear from the Apostle Paul, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not given to us to cause us to feel like we're losers. This is given to us as instruction to help us love him more. So putting it this way, it's not given to condemn me, not ultimately, but in a way, when I threw everybody under the bus, the law condemns us. None of us can live up to that on our own. None of us can live up to this on our own. But it wasn't given in the context of doing this on our own. It was given in the context of a covenant making, covenant keeping, promise making, promise keeping God who came alongside to help his people in Judaism and it was a Help that was powerful, but would even become more powerful in fulfillment when he brings his son, Jesus Christ, who says this is the greatest commandment. And he's not saying this is the greatest condemner that condemns you. He's saying this is the greatest help to you if you have a relationship with me. With a relationship with me, this is our bullseye, this is our target, and I come alongside you to help you so that you can love me more wholeheartedly. With me being the center of your being and why you live and what this is all about, abide in me and I will abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and I'll give it. There's power here when your whole life is devoted to the center of reality which is the true God who sent His Son to make a covenant way for us, it was pre-pictured in the old covenant and fulfilled in Jesus, and he's a covenant-making God. He has done everything we need to experience this as our instruction and as our help and as a reality where we love him more and more and more with an emotional attachment that is so great and filled with joy and love and peace. We're experiencing more patience and kindness and goodness coming from His Spirit into us because of Jesus' victory on the cross. When we say yes to Him, He pours out His riches into our life. You want to be rich? Say yes to Jesus, not to money. I lost where I was. but that's probably good. Here's how a covenant relationship works. Before I get there, God did not give us a religion of rules. Something far better than that, he gave himself in a covenant relationship. All of the instructions are within the context of a gracious God who gave himself in a covenant relationship. The instruction is how to access his help, whether it's centered in Jerusalem before the crucifixion or centered in the cross, death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus himself, which is still interesting at Jerusalem. We aim our prayers There. How does a covenant relationship work? God initiated it. We respond to it. Just like the romance movies. Will you be mine? Oh, yes! Yes, I will! Because of the goodness of God and his loving kindness. Towards us, we respond, yes. If you don't know that yet or trust it yet, you need to spend more time with God so that you raise your emotional attachment and want to say, yes, 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 I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. We are invited on the basis of his own grace, not on the basis of how good we are. We're not invited to consider all the rules, try to do our best and to say, is it good enough? Will you love me then? He says, You get this all wrong. I can't love you any more than I already love you. I love you so much I sent my son. I love you so much I made a way. I love you so much I'm giving you myself. Will you trust me with that? And then we can say, yes, and then he gives us more gives us more so that everything in terms of obedience is not trying to earn God's love. It's simply saying thank you for God's love, okay? We need to get that straight in our thinking. Otherwise, we'll be busy trying to earn our way into heaven, and the scripture says very clearly you can't do it. There's no possible way. That's why you give that up. And you turn to Jesus, the center of reality, who said, I've done this for you. Will you be mine? That's what being devoted means. Now, taking a look at this, though, there's, God is saying two things. He's saying, I love you, and I'm devoted to you. I invite you to be devoted to me. That's what he's saying there, but he's also saying something else. He's also saying, in effect, if you are in covenant with me, you cannot have a mistress or an adulterous lover on the side. Do you see that? Hear oh Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's no other god. You bow to another god, you're breaking covenant. If you devote yourself to another, you're messing up. You've been designed to be fully functional when I'm your center. Anytime you put something else in center to be devoted to more than me, you're busting yourself and it hurts. It'll hurt more and more and more until you recognize, I got to confess that, I got to get that out of there, I need to love the Lord God, and then everything starts to come back together, and pieces come back together. Daniel, of course, knew this from consistency and devotion, and snap, he could make this decision, I'm going to stay with God, I don't care if you throw me into the lion's den, because I know God, I know eternity. Because I know God, He's going to raise me. I know God who's more powerful than the lions. If he wants to save me, he can. And if he doesn't, I'm good because he saved me already and I'm going to live with him forever. That's the kind of devotion that Daniel has. What I'd like to move to is Jesus' use of the same word devoted. This will hurt a little. Warning. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters... Either you will hate the one or love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Choose your God. If money has pulled your heart to where money is the center of your motivation for anything and you start being sucked into money, motivation rather than all money is God's money, and you are just me, 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 kingdom of me. He's saying, Adulterer, you have a mistress. You can't serve both. This is spiritual adultery. Told you it hurt. It hurts every time we start thinking, I need more. Instead of, how much more can I give? Because it's all his. I want to make my life count for eternity. How can I use the resources? Money's not bad. How can I use the resources for eternity? I'm kind of excited about next Sunday. Giving resources away to an orphanage on Mother's Day. Isn't that kind of fun? Let's be devoted to our God and be generous because he's the one who provides us so well. There's only one God worthy of our central position, or of the central position of our heart's devotion. Is your heart fully devoted to the one true God, or is it devoted elsewhere? How to be devoted. Number one, strengthen your emotional attachment to the one true God. Number two, with an established relationship routine. Now, if you're married, this works create some established relationship routines to raise your emotional attachment. If you're struggling, this is the answer. Ask God to help you with that also. But Daniel showed his consistency from a well-practiced set of routines. Daniel showed his devotion because he was fueled by these relationship consistencies. And that's why it's easy to be devoted because his emotional attachment is so large, it's totally fueled. I just looked at my clock and it's already red. Ah, So what are your routines for fueling your heart's devotion? What are your routines for fueling your heart's devotion? Point number one, how to be devoted, strengthen your emotional attachment. Point number two, with an established relationship routine. And point number 3 Predecide a time, place, and plan for your relational routine to raise your emotional attachment toward God. Let me just be honest here. Sometimes God shows me that my heart is not as emotionally attached to Him as I need to be. Anybody experience that? Where God reveals that you're not as emotionally attached to God as you need to be. Here's what you can do if you experience that. You can confess it to God. You can turn back toward God. Only God is worthy of the central position of your heart's devotion. You can then Ask yourself, what is pulling me off the center, which makes me more attracted to the periphery? Two magnets. God is central. His magnetism is way more powerful than any other magnet. But the further away you get from the central magnet, the stronger this little magnet becomes. Did you catch that? So if you're starting to be tempted, you're already too far away from the strong magnet. What's the answer? Confess it and turn. That's called repentance. You turn away from the weaker magnet towards a stronger magnet and be drawn in with emotional attachment, which is not just from your side powerful, it's from his side so powerful. It's like, whoa, I don't know why I gave that up. So much joy, so much peace, so much blessing, all because of what Jesus did. So when you're tempted, know this, you are far from the large magnet because a small magnet's got your attention. Turn quickly. Lead your life with your lips. God, help me. God, you're awesome. God, you're big. God, you've done this. God, you're amazing. And spend some time there, and you're going to find help. I would like to finish with something I wrote out. I just fear I'll keep preaching. When we approach God in prayer, we find Jesus there. Jesus in the authoritative, he's in the authoritative position at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what scripture says. He, we might be feeling embarrassed by our sin, disheveled, I'd be tempted to go with my hair, but then I couldn't survive second service. <clears throat> we might be feeling embarrassed by our sin, disheveled, and weak, Feeling completely inadequate and disqualified when we come to the throne of God. But we discover that because Jesus, when we turn to the throne of God, that He's there, that this is not the throne of judgment for us. This is the throne of grace, the throne of the grace of God, according to Hebrews. And we can come with confidence because Jesus has already paid for that. He's the one mediator. We come with confidence through his mediation, through his accomplished work. Sorry, I started preaching again. When you turn to the throne of grace, the throne of God, it's the throne of grace because of what Jesus accomplished. Warning, it is only a throne of grace to those who humble themselves before the great covenant-making, covenant-keeping God through his son Jesus, his accomplished victory. You have to accept God on his terms, not yours. That's called humble yourself before God. So if you've never established a devotional routine to draw near to God, you don't have an established prayer time every day, you don't have an established time in the Word of God every day, and there's many other practices, uh, but let me just start there. If you've never done that before, can you commit to five minutes a day? Now, those of you who do an hour, an hour and a half a day, don't get mad at me. Five minutes a day is for the starters because here's what I know about God. When you start becoming emotionally attached to God, five minutes is not going to be enough. When you start doing this with consistency, test me on this. After 30 days, you're going to go, man, I want more. I want more, but it only comes out of consistency, intentionality, devotion, wholehearted approach. Then there's just a swelling, overflowing sense of the Spirit of God that's just pouring into your life, and you don't want to give this up. Start today. And if you have kind of gotten cold with that, restart. Every day, some consistency. I'm going to ask the prayer team to step over there to the prayer area. And if some of the things that I was poking at today was kind of feeling real, um, you might consider asking the prayer team to pray for a specific area, just for encouragement. And uh, if there's anything else that's going on that's huge for you and you'd like some prayer and you don't have a person to go to, this is a great opportunity. Go get some prayer. See you next week, and we'll learn some more about kindness. But let's pray before we go. Father God, I am so grateful that your gospel is such good news, that you give us, through the cross, through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, such tremendous access to all the glory of everything we need in life and its challenges, that you're there for us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. We can be strong and courageous. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be discouraged. We can walk with you and find joy in the challenging exile we find ourselves in when we're still waiting to get home with you. In Jesus' name, amen.